What a presence of the Lord that we feel. And it's just going to hopefully intensify as we jump into the word that we're going to finish up from last week. Uh, last week we started, in fact, we're in, I don't want to call it a series, but it, it really all goes together in understanding how to be part of a move of God, being part of a move of God. It, it, is, it is not something that just happens. It is not something that just accidentally falls on you. It is not when you hear of, of churches and have great revivals or what happened in Pensacola years ago or whatever happened. It does not happen by accident. It is being part of God moving, and it has to be intentional. And so we began a few weeks ago talking about how first we have to establish our place, how we see ourselves. How we see ourselves is the most important start that we can have. We can't start by just simply coming into his presence because if we do, we'll enter into it the wrong way. We've got stories in the Bible where people like Ruth and, and others who, who had to prepare to go before kings, who had to prepare even Joseph, who his clothes was changed, taken out of prison, had to be cleaned up and said, there is a way to see yourself and a way to enter into his presence that allows for that open door. And so we talked about the three mountains or the three places that we come. Some of us start from the law where we find out where, what we've done wrong. And, and, and through the law of Moses in the Old Testament, we, we see ourselves as one that is not right. Then we go to the cross, Mount Calvary, and then we see ourselves as one that's forgiven, one that's cleaned, one that's purified. But we said that the real mountain we have to see ourselves from when we are walking and wanting to move with God is we have to see ourselves from Mount Zion. We have to see ourselves as people who are deserving to sit with Christ in heavenly places. As long as you walk around like, well, I know I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you're not going to sit there. As long as you see yourself as someone, you know, I know we all sin a little bit every day. You're not going to sit there. You're going to have to get a mindset in yourself that, yes, I am more than a conqueror through Christ. Yes, if an enemy comes against me one way, let me tell you what's going to happen. Seven ways he's going to run. I never doubt in my mind any time that I'm going to be victorious. There's never a doubt in my mind that I'm going to win. I don't know what i got to go through. I don't know who i got to deal with. I don't know what situations or circumstances. That doesn't scare or bother me one iota. I already know I've won. I've just simply got to understand I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. So if there's a sickness in my family, I know healing is on the way. It's already been provided for by Jesus Christ. If there's a problem in my life, I'm okay. God's already provided for that. Everything about your life, you're going to have to get an understanding that you're going to have to see yourself seated with Christ. Quit seeing yourself as beat up and tore up and messed up from the floor up. You're going to have to see yourself as somebody who can overcome. Secondly, we started in the process that once I do this and I can see myself there, then how do I engage? Because what God wants more than anything else is intimacy with you. What God desires more than anything else is intimacy. It's not what you do, it's who you are. It's not what you do, it's who you are. And who you are radiates in every aspect of your life. 
Not just when you're preaching, not just when you're on a stage, not just when you, it just becomes who you are. You can walk into any situation, any circuit. It's who you are because of the intimacy that you have with him. So we began last week, and let's catch up real quick from last week. We talked about what we're talking about is being part of a move of God. So we went to the Song of Solomon. And I told you last week I wouldn't get very far, and we didn't. I got through the first two of the scenes that I needed you to see, or the steps or the process. The Song of Solomon is, is, depending on who you talk to, is broken up into several different commentaries. Some thinks it is a story. Some thinks it's a bunch of poems that were put together and and really has no rhythm or rhyme or anything. Some believe it's a picture of the Christ and the church. Some believe it's the picture of Israel and God. Some believe it's, it's constantly attacked. But what you do, just like when we look at Revelations, quit worrying about every little detail and trying to figure out because at different seasons, it will speak different things into your life. But what you have to look for is the markers and the process by which God operates. It never changes. No matter what season, no matter if you're talking about Israel and God or Christ and the church or you and your wife or whatever it might be, it still operates in the same way. The process is still the same. Look at the person beside you say, the process doesn't change. So here's what we found out when we talked about the process, whether it's a relationship or whether it's uh, uh, you and God. Here's what intimacy looks like and the process that God goes through. Number one was this, is that it has to become an intoxicating passion. If you're going to have a move of God or move with God, let me tell you what he has to become, an intoxicating passion. He has to become more important than anything else in your life. He has to become the main thing. And we went to Ephesus in different places. The church cannot be what you fall in love with. It has to be Christ. It has to be Jesus. It has to be those things. And when it's him, then everything else becomes okay. It has to become an intoxicating passion. Passion. That's what God had to deal with me with many, many years ago. When I was in Birmingham, the problem was is that I could have gone back and been a preacher. I could have gone back and done what he told me to do, but I wasn't going to do it. I spent six months fighting him, six months losing weight, six months living off Joe Cola, six months putting a tin chair in the shower. And running the hot water until it ran out. And that's what woke me back up. That was my life. And you think, well, that's horrible. No, it was the greatest moment of my life. Because in that moment, what God was establishing in me was that you are going to have to decide whether I am going to be the intoxicating passion. Or whether something else will always override me. Will it be family one day? Will it be your work one day? Will money overcome? Will will your prestige? Will your title? Will your insecurities? Will anything ever override your burning passion for me? 
And that fight took place until I was at an altar and I finally surrendered and I went back to Birmingham and I tore the pictures of Jaguars off the table, off the wall of I had put up. I took down pictures of AT&T and, and, and IBM and all these different companies that were, that were at that time starting up and were going to hire me and, and, and all these different things. And I took it all down and I loaded my car and I came back and started pushing buggies in a grocery store for a little bit of nothing. Went from a 4.0 average to basically a nobody again and somebody would say how can you do that because I had an intoxicating passion that the only thing that mattered in my life was Jesus Christ it's the only thing I don't care about a house I don't care about retirement I don't care about security I don't care the only thing I want more than anything I want is to be in his presence to be with him to be near him to move with him oh So what's drove all these years, all seasons, is this intoxicating path that I've tried to rub off on you. That's what pastors do. Churches cannot rise above their pastors. So when you look at great churches, growing churches, let me tell you what you're seeing. You're seeing the passion of the pastor. If you've got a pastor that loves fishing more than he loves preaching, then you're going to have people that sit around talking about fishing all the time. But if you have someone who's intoxicated by Christ and what his desire is, is to get you in his presence over and over and over. Number two was you're going to have to then have intimacy with him. is being with him, sitting with him. What I learned secondly was from that moment, it was those moments of just being with him. I would... I would go to the churches, and I would go to the altar, and I would take a pillow off the chairs, and I would just lay there with him. I'd wake up, read some, pray some, go back to sleep, just sleeping in the altar. All I wanted, I had given up everything else. All I wanted was intimacy. I wanted to be enraptured by his presence. Think of it this way. We talked about so passion becomes this main thing. When you first start dating, passion. Oh, I want, I want, to, I want to kiss you. I want to, well, that's what Solomon said. He says, your kiss is better than why. It's intoxicating. But then it moves to the next thing. All I want to do is just, can we just lay on the couch? And it's, it's amazing how us that have been married for a while, it changes. Yeah. At first, it was all about kissing and, and, and getting and doing and, and yeah. And then it's like, hey, let's get a red box movie. And let's just cuddle on the couch. That's just as good for me, baby, as anything. What are you saying? I'm telling you that it becomes Intimacy. In normal relationships and in yours. That's why all these people now buy the little blue pills and they, and, and, and they do all this stuff. You know why they do that? It's because they can't go from the passion to the intimacy. They're comfortable with passion. Give me 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever of, of good time and then I don't have to talk to you no more. But I don't want to cuddle on the couch with you all week. I got stuff to do. I don't want to have to spend a lot of time with you. I don't want to have to cook dinner with you. I don't want to have to sit at a time. I don't want to have to do all that. I got stuff to do. 
So what we have is passion without intimacy. Intimacy is the second level that God says that I've called you to. We dealt with verse 4. Now, let me pick up. That was last week. So let me kick in. I've got to hurry. But I need you to keep in mind all of this as we flow. The third thing, then, in the context of your journey of intimacy with God, getting in the move with God, go with me to verse 7 of Song of Solomon. Verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. Where, for why should I be as one who veils himself, herself by the flocks of your companion? He, she says, third thing that becomes part of this process is simply this, is that I want to make you part of the schedule of my life. What she's saying is simply this. She's saying, where can I find you? My, my wife, when, when I was working and, and, and we'd first started dating a few times and and. and one of the things I remember, and it's not stuff that other people remember that is important. It's what you remember about the courtship, about the, the, the process. And what I remember about the process was this, is that at certain times, Elise would maybe have a friend with her or something, and they would come into the grocery store because they had to come shopping. Now, I knew she didn't have to come shopping. But she would have her friend with her, and they would walk by. I would be up in the manager's office or whatever doing what I was doing. I, I would look down and wave, and, and I would see her and her friend walk away, and they'd be talking like, that's him, yeah, that's him. That's, 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 that's. And, I, and I'm thinking, yeah. Let, let, me, let me explain to you what God loves. God loves for you to make him part of your schedule. He loves for you to carve out time. He loves for you to say, God, where will you be this afternoon about noontime? God, this afternoon I have lunch. And, and would it be all right if, if I found a place where I work and I just got alone with you? And could we just get away for a little while today? Hey, God, tonight about 10 o'clock, uh, maybe 9 o'clock, I'm, I'm going to turn off all the TVs and the radios and I'm going to totally have silence. Would it be all right if, if we met and, and we spent time together. In other words, what you've got to do is purposely decide, I want to schedule some time with God. I've got to have a long time. I want to know where he is. I want to know what he's doing. I want to know who he's with. I want to know where he's working. I want to be a part of everything that's going on with him. Oh, I wish this made sense to you. You have to decide where can I find you later today? I'm going to schedule. Do you plan? Do you plan encounters with him daily? Do you plan or does it just happen haphazardly because a problem happens and, or it's time for lunch? I got to pray. Sometimes that's the only prayer we do during the, who's going to pray for the meal? I don't want to pray. Why? Because we don't want to schedule time with him. We don't want to make an appointment and say, look, I'm going to be right here. Will you meet me right here? I will be right here. 
scheduling daily time. Number three. Number four. Let me hurry. Go with me to verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. Jesus then moves to the next level, the next area. And it seems strange that, that this, this would move like this because you would think to yourself, well, it would go the other way that, that you would start dating, then eventually you get passion. No, no. It begins with passion. It moves. It moves just like any normal relationship. Like I told you, when we were young and 20 years old, and man, it was all about passion. But as we've gotten older, it's deeper and it's stronger now, but it's not the same way. There's still moments of passion, there's still, but it's not built on passion. It started to become scheduling. It started to become spending time. It started to become laying together and watching TV together. and do it. it became intimacy and all of these other areas that created the relationship of moving with God. Here's what it says. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. The third place that, or the fourth place that he calls us to is Jesus says, I want you to sit with me and eat bread. It's called the table of bread. In, in their time, it would be the next level of intimacy. I want you to sit with me. I want us to talk together. I want us to spend time. In fact, when I deal with marriages and, and, and have to do counseling and all the stuff that I do, it, eventually when they get to me, you know what the problem is? There's no more communication. There's no more spending time together. There's no, oh, they could, they could go fool around, but it don't have the same meaning anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't carry any weight anymore because it hasn't grown. And the next level that God calls you to is he says, listen, Come sit at the table with me. Let us break bread together. This is how you get to know me. This is how you learn me. This is how you find more about me. I, I, I want to see if I can explain it in, in, in this terms. Jesus spent three years with his disciples, right? Three years telling them, teaching them, showing them all the things that, that he was and everything that he was going to be. And then he died and and. We have the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And here are two people who have spent all this time with Jesus. They know Jesus. Lord, they've, they've been through ships with him, and, and they've been through problems with him, and they've seen him heal. They know Jesus. No, they don't. Because it's only when you can sit and break bread. And here's what happens in the story. These two men are walking along, and Jesus comes along beside them, and as they don't realize who he is. He says, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And they begin to tell, where have you been? Under a rock? Have you not heard all that's going on in, in Jerusalem? How the Messiah, the, the one that we believe in, got killed and crucified and died? And, 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 and do you not realize what's going on? And the Bible says that he began from there and began to teach them as they walked along in the scriptures about Moses and about all the things and everything that's happening and they got to the place where they were to stop and he would have passed them on by and they said, no, 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 would you come in and spend time with us? Would you come in and see us? He turns in and you got to get this because this is not done by accident. The Bible says that when he sat at the table and as he broke the bread... It hit them 
who he was. When he began to break the bread, all of a sudden they said, oh, I know who you are. And the Bible says he disappeared. And they looked at each other and said, did our hearts not burn within us when he was talking to us and spending time? Was it not an excitement? Did you not feel what I felt? And they ran all the way back to tell the others what they had experienced. But it's in the breaking of the bread. If you go into the temple, how many loaves of bread are there on the table? Twelve. Why? Because it represents every son of the 12 tribes. And what it represents is there will always be bread in my house for my children. There will always be something nourishing and enough to fulfill for my children. I will reveal myself through bread. Jesus himself tries to explain this to you. He doesn't say, I'm the lover I'm, I'm, I'm the sexy one. No, Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. When you really get to know me, you won't know me by my little moments of passion. You won't know me by my little flip-flops in the all. You won't know me by your own stage feeling googly bump. That's just emotions. Those things pass. You can be emotional and then drop the ball the next 10 minutes. That's not the problem. The problem is, have you broke bread with me? Have you spent time with me? Have you fallen in love with me? Can we just sit at the table and talk together? If we can't talk together and I can't nourish you and teach you and train you, then it's not going to go any further. There comes a point where I love to kiss him. There's a point where I love his intimacy. There's a point where I love all the other aspects. But when the greatest moment is when I can sit and break bread with him and do those things that I love to do. That's why when people say, Pastor, where do you get all of these, sir? Where do you get all this information? Where do you get all of that you preach? It's simple. The greatest joy that I have is in breaking bread. When I open the Bible and I begin to sit there and somebody will say, I can't understand it. I don't understand. That's because when you start with passion and you start with intimacy and you start to open up his word then all of a sudden he says I will show up the bread of life and I will reveal what it means (laughs) he even tells you later you must eat my flesh he didn't just say I'm the bread of life he said you got to chew on me. You're not going to chew on me. We're not going to have a very good relationship. Oh, but I had a move of God. Yeah, it'll move on too. But it's when the bread of life, when you can align your life with what he says and what he, then all of a sudden now my intimacy goes to another level. Breaking bread. That's his word. Whether he's speaking it to your heart or he's speaking it through his written word, whether he's, it's his word. Number five, I've got to run. Chapter two, verse four, gives us our fifth marker, our fifth moment of getting in the move, seeing myself, watching myself become part of him. I'm with him. I lie with him. I hug on him. He speaks into my ear. We are together. And then here's what it says. He brought me to the banqueting house. 
And his banner over me was Hold on, we just went to the table. We've laid on the couch. First, we were kissing on the front porch. Then we done moved inside. Then we're laying on the couch watching Netflix together. Now we done sit at the table and we're eating lasagna and hanging out and making memories and talking and just googly eyes. Now you're telling me there's another table? Oh, yes. When you go to a great banquet, the way it always worked was that when you got through with the meal, then the head of the house would say, follow me. It's time for us to relax. It's time for us to engage even further. Well, what do you mean? And this last table is called the house of wine. You would go into the house of wine. It's a different table. It's not the same kind of table. It's not where you serve food. It's, it's, it's a house of wine. And in the house of wine, we can call it uh, an afterglow room. Uh, in, in certain times in past, it'd be the cigar room. You know, after you done eat, you'd go in there and you'd light your cigar, your pipes, and, and you would just say, okay, now we're going to just relax. Well, God has a room. When we do things, we think we've created something new, but we haven't. Way before somebody said, hey, let's go to the parlor and let's just smoke a pipe and talk. Hey, let's do this. You know what we do? Even in business, we do this. In business, we will say, okay, let's, let's hang out together. Good, man. We ought to, hey, let's... Uh, Let's go to dinner together. Man, that's been great. That's been good. And if it's gone good so far, I will look at you and I'll say, hey, man, we need to play golf. We need to go play golf. We need to go fishing. Hold on. We just done, we done talked and we done talked. We don't need to talk. Oh, no, no. We really hadn't talked yet. See, we just talked business till now. You, you still haven't, haven't experienced me until you meet me on the golf course. Until you see me fishing, until you are in a parlor, until we're sitting there just kick back. And in their culture, you see me kick back with the wine in my hand and we're just relaxing at the table and we're talking because I've done decided I like you. I've done decided I want to spend time with you. I've done decided I like what you bring to the table and I love being in your presence. This is called lingering. It's what we don't do enough of anymore. We don't linger in his presence. We can turn it off and turn it on. Time to go, this, that. And we wonder what's wrong with us. It's because you have been eating at a table, but nobody's invited you to the parlor. Because it's in the parlor that everything, let me give it to you in a different way. It's called the house of the Holy Spirit. In our culture, in, in our Christendom, it's the house of the Holy, the house of wine. Where we get drunk and intoxicated and where we get in his presence and we talk openly and we're comfortable and everything is on the table. You can't get that coming and sitting in your seat. You can't get that going through your motions. There ain't a class we've got anywhere in this church that can give that to you. Ain't nobody can teach it to you. Can't nobody train it to you. Can't nobody. It's, it's nowhere. Only one way to get there, and that's through his spirit. Let, let, me, let me give you some scriptures and help you out with this. Go with me to John 16, 6 through 11. John 16, 6 through 11. Now, let me explain this. The most important person 
And you got to get this. You need to write this down. The most important person in the world. Greater than your, your mate. Greater than your kids. Greater than anything or any person you know. Is the Holy Spirit. He is the greatest person in the universe. He is greater than any political party. He's greater than any friend that you have. He's greater than any scientist that you know. He's greater than any library you can go to. He is smarter than any professor you'll ever bump into. He knows more than the contents of every library in the world. He is the most important person, and notice I said person, in the world. Because what happens is, is that until you come to this realization, you don't go to the parlor. That's why in our modern worship, we have moments of ecstasy, but it doesn't change us. Because we love the emotional of him, but we don't love the depth of him. It is the depth of him. Paul would say it this way. When they looked at him, he had to go to Jerusalem. He was fixing to go into Jerusalem, and everybody down said, we're going to kill him. And people outside of Jerusalem looked at Paul and said, Paul, don't go in there. They're going to kill you. He said, I go bound by the Spirit. You, you don't, guys, I appreciate your opinion. I appreciate what you think. I appreciate what you're trying to do. But you don't understand. <laughs> There's one who leads me who's greater than me. There's one who walks with me who's greater than me. There's one who holds me that's greater than me. And I must go wherever he calls me to go. I cannot sit here. That's why Jesus himself said, I can do nothing unless the Father, the Spirit allows and speaks and moves me to do it. Jesus was our example. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Creation. Why do you think the world fights so hard with evolution? Fights so hard. Why, why, is, that, why is that such a dogma? Even though it's, it's, when it's studied, it's stupid. I mean, it's, just, it's just totally stupid. They don't even believe it themselves. That's why they change it every five years because it, somebody starts to say, that's dumb. Oh, well, that ain't exactly. You know, we're learning. Learning what? You wrote a book and said this is how it happened. Now you tell me you're learning it? No. All of creation determines and dictates when you walk outside today and you try to figure out in your finite mind how grass came to be, how trees of every kind came to be, how fruit trees were, and all of it came out of the same pond and the same sludge. Oh, and you also came out of that same pond and that sludge and, and hair fell off of you and your tail fell off and you got real smart all of a sudden. You'll start to realize how ignorant. Even a computer would laugh at you. No, 
my first thought is there's a God. That's why all of our study, all it created was, was a mindset that there is creative design. That's all the research, everything that we've researched speaks to, and now they won't let us put that. They quit studying it once we found that out because then we can't go there. We can't say there's something out there unless it's aliens. If there's a creative design, there's an alien race that's billions of years older than we are that we've never met before, and they're the ones that planted us here. Yeah. The Klingons did it to us. That's why they make all the space things. That's why they push sci-fi. That's why, because they're trying to train your brain to believe that a Klingon came here a billion years ago and dropped a seed in the ground way before you would walk outside and have enough sense to know, you know, there's a God. There ain't no way none of this could be here except there's a God. So creation introduces you to the Father. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament from Genesis all the way through, is through the laws, through the prophets. He introduces you to who? The Father. The New Testament begins with the Father introducing you to the who? To the Son. We call it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord only lasted 33 years. The day of the Lord only lasted 33 years. Jesus spent his entire time Preparing to introduce you to who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been in operation for 2,000 plus years. You keep wanting to meet Jesus. You keep wanting to meet the Father. But you can't do it without the Spirit. So in your religious mindset, I don't want this spiritual stuff. Then you're stuck. Because you can't get to any other aspect without going through the Spirit. Pastor, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then let me show you what Jesus said. Maybe you'll believe him. Here's what he said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Look at the person beside you and say, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will Send him to the only thing you got to work with is the power of the Holy Spirit. The only thing you have in your arsenal, if you're ever going to do anything for Christendom, if you're ever going to do anything for Christ, if you're ever going to do anything for the Father, it will come through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the only way it works. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of, in other words, when he comes, he's got a purpose, he's got a job, he's got a completed work that he's supposed to do until Jesus returns. And that is to convict the world and to draw them into relationship using the Old Testament to convict them, using the laws to convict them, using the cross to forgive them, bringing them into the family of God. Oh, Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and, I, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is already judged. This is his job. This is what he... 
I can carry you to multiple scriptures, and it basically it says the same thing. It's constantly that Jesus says, it's, it's time for me to go, because if I don't go, you can't be what you need to be. You can't enter into the relationship that I want you to have. Because everything I'm talking about in this intimacy with God cannot happen in the physical. It must happen in the spiritual. Otherwise, it's really weird. That I love a guy that died 2,000 years ago. That's weird. No. Because in the spiritual side of me, in the part that's the real part of me, it makes perfect sense. That I am in relationship, passionately in love, with the one who died for me. And through his spirit, he has drawn me into intimacy and drawn me into closeness and taken me into the inner courts of his chamber, has sat there with the wine which he is and intoxicated me. That's why Paul would later say, be no more filled with wine, but be filled with the... Oh, I wish I had time to to show all of this. Let's move. So I must linger... All right, there are three movements that you need to know. This is the process, but there are three movements that you must understand or you will fail. Look at that person beside you and say, if you don't know these movements, you will fail. I didn't write it, so take it up with God. Go with me to chapter 2 and verse 8. So you have this intimacy that has been created through this relationship between this woman and this man in the, in the story. But now the movements throughout this poem is what confuses everybody. Because what we want to do is we want to think that, well, ha- they live happily ever after. How many of y'all got saved and were happy ever after? Welcome to reality. Because if you don't understand the movements of a relationship, then... You're going to lose it. You're going to fail in it. Movement number one, verse eight. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the... (laughs) Oh, you have to picture this. Here I am. I feel alone. I feel at times in my relationship, I feel at times that nobody loves me. I don't know why I'm even going to church anymore. I'm struggling with all of this. I'm not even sure there's a God anymore. I'm not sure. I'm struggling with all these steps and whatnot. This problem that I've been through is wearing me out and all of this. And and what happens in this? What do I need to do? Let me explain number one. You don't need to do anything because it's not you who is pursuing God. It is God who is constantly pursuing you. Here's the first movement is understand the first movement that takes place is the movement of God towards you. You think, I got mountains, I got trials, I got troubles, I got all of this going on. I can't overcome it. But here's what the lady says I see. She says, I see him coming. And he's not trudging over mountains to get to me. He's not walking around the mountain to get to me oh no mine is so powerful and so mighty that he leaps upon the mountains he jumps over the things that are obstacles to me and he says I'm coming baby I'm coming don't you worry I'm going my way don't you worry I won't leave you long where are you at 
Hey, where you at? I'm leaping around looking for you to find you. Shoot. I don't have to pursue God. God is in a desperate pursuit of Tim Lott. Look at the person beside you and say, God can't get enough of me. He's in a desperate pursuit of me. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. The, the woman in here, I love how she talks. She said, oh, I've been outside too long and I've been, they made me pick the, the grapes when I, and I should have kept my clothes covering over, but no, look at my skin now. It's done dark and, and I'm, I'm ugly and I'm, of course, throughout, he's constantly like, no, baby, you are drop dead gorgeous. Oh, no, you are my beloved. And this is what he's saying. He said, I go leaping. All I need is you to cry out. And when you cry out, I come jumping on mountains. I come leaping upon mountains. I come leaping over every problem to get to you, to get close to you. The second movement, verse 9. Listen how it, he describes this first movement. Let's just stay here. My beloved is like a gazelle of a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall, the wall. He is looking through the window, gazing through the what? The lattice. The second part of this is that when he comes jumping after you, and running after you. Here's, here's what he's going to do. I'm jumping up on the mountains. I'm leaping over the mountains. I'm going to get to you. And then I get to here and I stop. There's nothing between us. But just a thin path. I've jumped over mountains. I've tore down every barrier. Now there's this thin piece of lattice. That you can see me through, but you can't quite get to me yet. And I stop there. See, this is what messes us up. Well, if God, if God wants me so bad, then why do I have all these issues? Why do I have all this? It's because God will pursue you to a certain degree. And he will stop. He will pursue you to a certain degree. Degree, and he will stand outside the lattice. Because here's why he wants you to exercise your free will to choose him. Listen, you got, you got to understand this part of him. He will come running toward, you will think that this is it. Oh, he, ooh, I feel him. I feel, I feel God. That's just him jumping on the mountains. Some of y'all got, got so enamored with him jumping on the mountains, you think that's it. And then when you finally go away, somebody say, Did you get everything you want? Well, I know God is, why? Because I got right to the lattice. And it felt like something didn't break. Let me tell you what didn't break. You. You. Verse 10. 
He stands there and he says, oh, come on, get up. Come on, come on, move, 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 move. Listen to what he says. My beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. See, can't nobody go here with me. Nobody gets to go where I go with God. I can't go with God in your family where God takes you. That's not my family. But what God called me to as pastor is nobody goes where I go. And God won't make me go there. God never made me go and see that, or to see this, or to see this, or to see what God is wanting, or, or to see what He's got in the future. God says, you sure you want to go, Tim? Or you just want to watch me jump on the mountains? No, I want to go. Then get up. Come out from behind the lattice. Go around. Come get a hold of me. And let me take you away. Verses 11 through 15 I ain't got time to deal with him. You know what they talk about? He says, oh, baby, things are changing. Let me show you the fig tree is starting to blossom. The flowers are blooming. Spring is in the air. Oh, change is going. You know what's going to happen? Let me explain to you. You know what will happen if you ever get up from where you sit? I ain't talking about just physically, spiritually. If you'll ever just get up and go after him and move as he's moved towards you. What's going to happen is he's going to not talk about your past and he's not going to talk about what you're going through. He's not going to talk about where you're at. He's going to look at you and say, oh, baby, do you see where we're going? Oh, baby, do you see what's on the horizon? Do you see what can take? Do you see? Can you see it? I'm telling you, the fig tree is blooming. I'm telling you, everything, the grass is starting to grow. It's a change of season. If some of you would get a hold of that mindset, then it's a change of season. When I get close to him, he's saying I'm changing. Changing the seasons of your life. That's what happens in that. Movement two. Go with me to chapter three, verses one and two. By night on my bed, I sought the one I loved. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I could not find him. What's happening? When you get used to being with him and around him, Your desire becomes to wanting to be with him all the time. What she's saying is, I reached over, I was laying in the bed, and we're usually cuddling, we're usually spending time, and I, I reached over and he was gone. 
And I determined within myself, I don't want the house. I don't want the comfort. I want him. And the story is her getting up from that bed, putting on her clothes and going through the streets. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? I don't want to live without him. I don't want to move without him. I don't want to go one day without him. Oh, you should have saw our courtship. Oh, you should have saw the time we spent together. Oh, you should have seen it. I don't want to live without that. Number three. Go to chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. I slept, but my heart does what? I, I want to just, can't we just be comfortable? But my heart longs for him. Why can't we just sleep? But my heart cries out, I want to be with you. It is the voice of my beloved. He, he, he knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew. My, my locks are drops of the night. I have taken of my robe, off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? See, here's the problem. Is that there are always movements within your relationship. There is the first movement where he's pursuing me and I'm pursuing him. And man, it is, those are great. We call them revivals or whatever you want to call them. There are other movements in your walk with God where there are times in your life where like in chapter 3, we, 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 we don't want to be in the house without Him, but we, but we, we don't quite have Him there yet and, and, and we're pursuing Him. And, and so we do it through Bible study, we do it through prayer, we do it through all the things that we're doing trying to get Him into And in your love relationship, there will also be number three. There'll be times he will come along and he will say, I'm here. I'm here. Hey, I'm here. But if we're not careful, we'll look at him and say, God, you know, right now is just not a good time. God, right now, I'm just not the right season for. I got so much other stuff, and you know, and I've done kind of settled in to here, and and these seasons are always transforming in your lives. This morning, I want to ask you: Is this a season where he's jumping mountains and running to you? You're running to Him and you're watching Him do incredible things? Is this a season where you have said, Look, I, 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 
I know it, it, I, I want you. I know I, I'm going to pursue you. I, I don't feel like I've, I've gotten right now, Brother Lot, I feel like I'm just pursuing. I know there's more out there, and I just... I know there's more. I know I'm supposed to be teaching. I know I'm supposed to be doing more in ministry. I know I'm supposed to be more connected to him. And, and I'm pursuing right now. Or is it where God is whispering from outside the door? He's saying, hey. Hey. Let's deal with that. I'm here. Let's move. Let's run away together. And I look at him and I say, but God, I stayed up late Saturday night. I'm kind of tired. God, you know, you just do whatever you're going to do. You know how chapter 5 goes? She finally gets up and she puts on her shoes. She goes to the door to open the door. When she opens the door, the Bible says, he's gone. He's gone. She spends the whole time then chasing again, pursuing again. God wants more than anything else in this world to have intimacy with you. He wants you to be in this process where you are moving in from chamber to chamber and you are falling in love and you are spending time and you're fueled with intoxicating wine and then there are movements along in this process where it will seem like at times God is just jumping and running to the rescue. There will seem like times where it feels like God is just, I I know he's there, but I don't feel him. I'm chasing. I, I know he's there, but I haven't got a hold of him yet. And then there are times when you will hear his voice and he will say, Come away with me. Come on, let's go. And if you're not careful at those moments, you'll say, God, I'm just kind of gotten used to where I'm at. I'm used to being hooked on this addiction. I'm used to kind of struggling here. I'm used to it. And I'll just stay here in my bed. You stand. This morning, before God comes and moves again. Before great movements take place in your life, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you something. If a married couple came to me and said, what do we need to do, pastor? It's not complicated. You need to become once again intoxicated with passion. You need to become intoxicated with passion. Do extravagant things for him. Wherever your treasure is, your heart is. Do extravagant things. When, when I dated Elise and, man, I was in passion and all that, I, I bought a shirt just about every time we dated. I'd just go to the store buy a new shirt. 
thinking, I don't need no shirt. But I just, I, I just wanted her to. And I never wore cologne in my life. Couldn't smell, didn't do me any good. I had to figure out how to wear cologne. She liked that. You know, that costs money buying them bottles of that stuff. That spray can of right guards a whole lot cheaper. As long as I didn't stink, what did it matter? No. I was intoxicated. I wanted, I wanted her to love me. When's the last time you just got intoxicated? You just did something. Somebody like, look now, you know you don't have to do that. Oh, I know. Well, I know I wouldn't do it. I know. But you got to understand, I, I want them. Are you intoxicated by him? Do you spend times of intimacy with him? Do you ever feel him just when you're driving down the road and a song comes on and, or, or a thought goes through, you just have to pull over because the tears and God's just saying, let me hug you for a second. Are you overwhelmed by intimacy with him? Do you schedule time? I'd ask Elise back years ago, it was way before cell phones when we were dating, we'd have to talk tonight before. Where are you going to be tomorrow? Well, I got to be here and I'll be here to three and I'll be. Oh. I didn't talk to her no more. We didn't have no way to contact. But I knew the next day where she'd be. And I just happened to end up there. God, where are you going to be tomorrow? Would it be all right if we met about 7 o'clock tomorrow night? And I just, I'll be right here on this couch. And, and would it be all right if we just spent some time together? Have you sat at the table with him? Just breaking bread. Just, run a lot, I don't understand. Just open that word and just listen to it come out. And understand it's the greatest love letter that's ever been written to you. What I've done for David and what I did for Daniel and what I did for Peter and what I did for Paul. I didn't love them more than I love you. You are my love. I'm with you just like I was with them. Have you sat at the table? And in all of that, have you just been invited from time to time to the parlor? Where all of a sudden it just overwhelmed. Intoxicated by his spirit. Moved and totally free. This is how you do it. This is the process. And this week, I can't do this for you. I can't, I can't give this to you. You must want it more than anything else and you must pursue it. I've never walked up to anybody and said, you're going to marry this one. Just buckle up and get after it. No. But I have a lot of people come to me and say, hey, me and so-and-so are dating. I'm like, Really? And I do it that way just because I want to see their expression. Really? 
thought y'all were just friends. And I do that because I want to see their passion. No, no, I really, I really like them. I, I mean, they got some great qualities. Great, oh, and they light up. Next week, the greatest love of your life wants to spend time with you. The greatest love of your life, whether you know it or not, wants to be intimate with you and wants to hear all of the hurts, all of the problems, but he also wants to speak your future. He wants to tell you that the seasons are changing. I'm going to be there. I hope this week that you do that. I hope this week that you go through those five steps. Walking through them. Praying through them. Allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and comfort you through the process. It has been the journey of my life. The journey of my life is not what you see here. I could leave this tomorrow. Elisa, take the first thing. She said, he could quit that tomorrow. This is not my identity. My relationship with Christ has always been my identity. And it is where God wants you to be identified. With every head bowed, Father, today, I can go no further. I can't teach intimacy no more. It has to be experienced. It has to be experienced. And I pray that this week that there will be a hunger that will rise up through your Holy Spirit and your people. That they just hunger. I want to be closer to Him. I want to get closer to Him. I want to experience Him more. I I don't care if I'm in the middle of the kitchen and He's just overwhelmed. I want His presence. I want to be close to Him. Lord, let that be the overriding thing of our day. Let that be the overriding feeling of our life. Because if it's not... The chaos and the trouble, the anxieties, the troubles of this day will drive us away from you. They will drive us away if what we don't pursue is your presence. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. I hope you have the greatest week of your life.